if you spoke to a Jew today and you asked a Jew today, will your Messiah be Gentile or be Jewish? I don't care who they are. Religious Jews or non-religious Jews, they're going to virtually give you a unanimous answer. A Jew. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the Revelation, and we spent last week looking at the coming Antichrist. Today, Dr. Brogy continues his insightful look at this man of lawlessness that will captivate the world during a time known as the Tribulation. Let's begin as Pastor Carl reads from verse 1 of chapter 13. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Now remember, the chapter and verse divisions are artificial. They're added almost a thousand years after the Bible is completed. So in some translations, they take that section of the verse and they put it at the end of chapter 12. Some translations, they have 18 verses in chapter 12. But understand, those divisions are artificial, and they divide them up differently so you can understand who, who he's referring to. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Go back to verse 17 of chapter 12. So the dragon, who's been identified for us in verse 9, it's no mystery, he's called the devil, Satan. Satan, you could say, was enraged with the woman, the people of Israel, and he went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. If you remember in the 12th chapter, in the middle of the tribulation, when the abomination of desolation is committed, Satan physically is thrown out of the heavenly realm down to the earth. His time is short, so he wants to wage war against the Jewish people like he'd never had before. Most of the Jews are going to heed the advice of the Olivet Discourse, and they're going to flee into the wilderness, just like Jesus said. And they'll be protected in one of three possible nations. We don't know which one, but we know there are three nations, not given geographical borders, what we would call today present-day Jordan, maybe literally Petra, where the Jews will be protected and preserved. And we'll see why when we come later in the dialogue of the Revelation. But not all Jews will flee. And those who don't flee, the rest of her children, Satan is going to try to attack and to kill. He'll make war with these who keep the commandments of God. Understand, Satan hates the Jewish people. There has never been a people in the history of man that have been more hated than the Jewish people are hated. He absolutely hates these people. And so knowing his time is short, he brings in an incredibly profound way his Antichrist to the forefront. He has been operating since the beginning of the tribulation, but now with new power like we're going to see this morning, his leader comes to the forefront. Now, remember, in the opening verses of the Revelation, we learn that this revelation, this apocalypsis, this revealing, this unveiling of God was given or communicated or signified. The Greek word translated in Revelation 1, communicated, is a word in Greek that refers to something that is given through a figure, through a symbol. 
And so in the margin of the New American Standard, in the body of the King James, <clears throat> excuse me, and in some other translations, it said it was signified. I actually prefer that. The first four letters of signified are sign, S-I-G-N. This revelation was signified. And so that means you have to figure out what the signs mean. And of course, one of the reasons some people have such great difficulty with the revelation is because they don't know their Old Testament or they don't understand the role of Israel. So I have a complete set of John Calvin's commentaries. He wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. Why? Because he didn't know what to do with it. He was all confused in his eschatology and the distinction between Israel and the church. He thought the church was the new Israel. He just adopted Roman Catholicism hook, line, and sinker in that particular realm. And so if you don't understand that God's not done with the Jews, it will become very confusing when you read the Revelation. Another reason it's confusing to people is because 300 of the 404 verses in the Revelation are from the Old Testament. In other words, they're Old Testament allusions without a single introduction. Moses said, David said, Isaiah said. It's just woven like a beautiful mosaic. And so you have to go back and say, oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. That's from Isaiah. Let me go back. Oh, yeah, I see what he's saying now. Okay, I get it. Or sometimes, even within a few verses, he interprets the sign for you. So what are the seven candlesticks? No mystery. He tells me a few verses later. Seven churches and so on. All right? So some Christians, too, are just lazy. They don't really want to dig. They don't want to hunt it out like a man would seek after silver or gold, as Proverbs says. But I think God gave it for a reason. One is he wanted to keep people who were unbelievers during the tribulation who had rejected the truth from digging into the truth. And we'll see why in these next few weeks. But number two, and please understand, God's heart is to save people. But there's coming a time when the patience of God on some people is going to wear out. God will say, enough is enough. And because they rejected Revelation over and over and over again, they will not be able to believe. Because they would not believe, they'll come to a point where they cannot believe. But in addition, I think God wants us to dig. Because when you dig into it, by the time you see the answer, it's like you don't forget it. Oh, I get it. And why does God want us to do that? Because he wants to change our lives. Look, while this is so important to the future... It is very important to the, few, uh, to the present in terms of what we're learning. So, verse 1 again. I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. What does that mean? Does he come up with scuba gear on out of the sea? Remember, we've seen the word sea is used two ways in the Bible. Of a literal sea or figuratively. Even in English today, we say, look at that sea of people. We're saying that mass of people. Or sometimes the two concepts are bled together, a literal and a figurative meaning. So he doesn't just say he comes out of a sea, but notice it's articular, the sea. You see that? Circle the word the in your Bible, because that's in a very important article. It's not there by accident. Not the smallest jot or tittle will pass away from the Word of God. God inspired every mark in the Bible, and He did so for a reason. And there are four great seas in the Word of God. There's the Dead Sea, there's the Red Sea, there's the Galilean Sea, or we call the Sea of Galilee, and there's the Great Sea. Today we call the Mediterranean Sea. 
And so the scripture says in verse two, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and great authority. Do you remember those animals? If you're with me in the study of Daniel, you remember those are the animals that Daniel used to describe successive empires of the world. And he writes of these empires ever before they came into existence. That's why the liberals detest Daniel. And they say Daniel was written after the fact. No one can write the future. Why? Because they have created a God in their own image, and they want to deny the supernatural nature of the Word of God. Of course, the Dead Sea Scrolls and their finding totally blew that argument out of the water. You cannot late-date Daniel. Daniel writes of it ever before it happens. But if you remember, all of these empires result in a fourth empire called the Roman Empire that Daniel speaks of. And Daniel also looks down at the Carters of time when Messiah comes the second time, when God will revive that Roman Empire. Here is where it is geographically. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, or what in the Bible is called the Great Sea. And of course, all around it were the former nations of the Roman Empire. Now, The scripture says that this beast is coming up out of the sea. He is going to come out of this mass of humanity, which the second verse identifies geographically from the book of Daniel and the schematic I gave you. That's why I told you it's really important to understand Daniel, to understand Revelation. He is going to come out of the former Roman Empire. Now, That tells us where he is geographically. That's his origin. There's going to be a coalition of 10 nations the Bible speaks of. 10 nations. And 11th is going to come up amongst them. He's going to overthrow three, and he's going to take prominence over the others. And that man is called the Little Horn because he comes out of a country of insignificance at the time in human history when before Jesus comes. And he is then going to rule the whole world. So he's going to come from the former Roman Empire. Will he be a Gentile or will he be a Jew? Some assume because he comes from the former Roman Empire that that means he'll be a Gentile. He will not. He will be a Jew. Think about it. Let me give you four reasons why I know he will be a Jew. Number one, just because he comes from the former Roman Empire and not from the nation of Israel does not preclude his Jewishness. There are approximately 12 and a half million Jews in the world today, maybe 13 million. There are Jews in America. We call them what? American Jews. There are Jews across Europe. What was the capital of the former Roman Empire? Of course, Rome. And so the scripture tells us in Daniel 9 that the Antichrist will be from the Roman Empire. He will be the prince who is to come. And so if you remember in Daniel 9, he wrote of two princes. One prince, the Roman prince, who would go and conquer Jerusalem and destroy it. It happened. Jesus also spoke of it, quoting Daniel, in 70 AD, literally. A few weeks ago, we stood uh, on the Herodian Way, And uh, next to the Temple Mount were all these stones. Where did they come from? Up high on the Temple Mount. There was a temple up there one day. And not one stone was laid upon another that was not thrown down to the ground. And we stood next to those stones. And it was fulfilled just like Jesus did. When was that fulfilled? In 70 AD. 
Then Daniel telescopes down into the future, and from the same body of nations is coming the prince who is to come. Now, for instance, in the second century BC, there are tombs that have been found in Rome, Italy, called the Yehuda Itacum. It means the Italian Jews. Now, they're not Italian ethnically. They're Italian geographically, just like Jews in America. Remember, the Bible does not measure uh, nations in terms of geographical boundaries only, but in terms of ethnicity. So when the Bible says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, it's referring to all the ethnicities of the world that we are to go and to preach the gospel to. My point is, is that the fact that the Antichrist is coming out of the former Roman Empire, maybe Italy, no one knows, does not preclude his Jewishness. In addition, he comes as a Messiah. He's called Antichrist, as John will refer to him. You know what the parallel word for Christ is in Hebrew, right? What's the parallel word? Messiah. I heard someone say it, Messiah. So Messiah and Christ are equal terms. One's Hebrew. One's Greek, as they come in English, is Messiah and Christ. He's anti-Messiah, so he comes as a Messiah. If you spoke to a Jew today and you asked a Jew today, will your Messiah be Gentile or be Jewish? I don't care who they are, religious Jews or non-religious Jews, they're going to virtually give you a unanimous answer, a Jew. Why? Because that's what the Scripture spoke of that he would be from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. He is going to be a Jew. So they're looking for a Jewish Messiah who is yet to come. In addition, again, it's inconceivable to me that since um, uh, they're looking for a Jew, that he would be anything but a Jew. But biblically, that's how he is described. Let me give you a verse that Jesus gave us in John chapter 5. Do you know John chapter 5? You should. By the way, if a, if a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or Christian science, or some other cult, or just some person who doesn't understand what the Bible teaches about Christ's deity, if there's one chapter that would help you, that would give you more evidences for the deity of Christ, it's John chapter 5. It's a great chapter to know. And so in that chapter, Jesus defends his deity. And of course, the Jews in his day were rejecting that. And so he makes this statement in John 5, 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. Now remember, unlike English, where we just have one word for another, in Greek, there's two words for another. There's the word heteros, which means another of a different kind, and there's the word alos that means another of the same kind. So we have our word heterodoxy, that's the opposite of orthodoxy. We have heterosexuals, so we speak of opposite sexes. But then there's the word alos, which means another of the same kind. Jesus there in the, that great discourse that he gave, he said, I'm going to send another helper just like myself. In other words, he equates the Spirit of God to deity who comes to indwell us. Well, Jesus said, because you rejected me, there's going to be another one like me. How is he going to be like him? Not in that he's God, for there's only one Son of God. There'll be another like him, and that he will be a Jew. So, Antichrist, 
He is coming. He is the opposite of Christ and that he doesn't function under divine power. He functions, as we'll see today, under Satan's power. And so we've seen he comes in the uh, up out of the sea, but he also comes, as uh, Revelation eleven seven says, up out of the abyss. Well, what is it? It's both. Remember the abyss? Don't glaze over on me now. <laughs> uh, the abyss, that place where demons are, locked up someday will be released, someplace where, a place where Satan will spend a thousand years. The abyss is a, is a haven of satanic power. And so the Antichrist is going to have his power from the evil one. He's going to be a real human geographically from the former Roman Empire, and he's going to come with the opposite of Christ's power. He's going to come with evil power, but he's also going to come in the place of Jesus. Remember, anti means opposite of and instead of, and that's how the devil operates. He comes as an angel of light. Look at verse 2 again, I saw, or the end of verse 1, I saw the beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. I'm not even going to spend time on that because he's going to spend the whole chapter on it in the 17th verse, so I'll explain it when John does, all right? Um, with that said, notice how he functions, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. Now remember these descriptions come right out of Daniel chapter 7. Remember the leopard? Now remember, here's Daniel. He is looking into the future. John is looking backwards. So he takes the same three animals in reverse order. So he first describes the leopard. If you remember in Daniel's prophecy, it represented Alexander the Great. Even the liberals don't deny that. They say clearly Alexander, no one else. They just say it was written after the fact because Daniel, unlike anyone, cannot write the future. But God wrote the future because God is God. That's why if you can't believe Genesis 1-1, you can't believe anything else. And that's why Genesis 1-1 is under attack today like never before. Theistic evolution is heresy. To say that God used the process of evolution to create the world is absolute heresy, and it undermines the very foundations of our faith. And so God is the God of the supernatural. God knows the future. And he spoke of Alexander the Great, who with great speed and swiftness conquered the nations of his day. Then he described the bear. And Daniel, if you remember, represented the Medo-Persia empire, this bear with his strong claws and massive strength who would stop anything. And then the lion with a appetite for power. Now, the prophet Daniel doesn't try to then take a beast to describe this coming beast. But John does in that he takes all three beasts and he puts them together and he says, this is what the coming Antichrist will be like. <clears throat> It'll be like a leopard. And that with great swiftness of power, all of a sudden you can say, what happened? Yesterday, we we're the United States of America. Today, we're the United World of the World. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, things change so fast. That's what's going to happen when this man comes to the power. He will crush like a bear. No one, and I mean absolutely no one, will be able to stop him or oppose him. And like with the mouth of a lion, he will devour anyone who stands in his way. And how will he do this? And the dragon, who's the dragon? 
the devil, Satan, and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. He has his power, his strength from Satan. He has his throne. He is a one world leader from Satan, and he has great authority. He does as he pleases exactly how he wants to operate. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Even so, when people will see the Antichrist, they will, in essence, see a man who is totally operating under the father of lies, the evil one. Now, let's dig further. On your outline, you say, when are you getting to it? I'm getting to it now. Let's think about the Antichrist receiving the world's wonder. The first thing there on your note-taking outline that we want to talk about is the Antichrist is going to receive the world's wonder. They are just going to be in awe of him. Now, practically speaking, why is it that the people of this world are going to follow after this man? Well, two reasons. Reason number one, we already saw in the first horseman. The first horseman of the apocalypse is going to come as a peacemaker of the world. And that's exactly how the Antichrist is described as a man of peace. Why is it that yesterday on the news, front and center, was the president's son-in-law there in the Middle East uh, laying the groundwork for another Mideast peace conference? Because God's not done with the Jew. Look, a hundred years ago when preachers like myself, I've told you before, preached about Israel, they were laughed out of their pulpits because replacement theology was embraced by virtually everyone. And they said, no, God said he would gather his people back in the land. God said he'd make them a nation in one day, and it all has happened and is happening. Why is it there's 195 nations in the world? Why is it that this little patch of land the size of Delaware with a group of people that are so small they seem virtually insignificant, that they are front and center? Why is it that the whole world is interested in Israel? Because God is going to complete the return of his son through that nation. Just as he brought Jesus through Israel, he's going to bring him back through Israel. So number one, this man is going to come as a man of peace, and he's going to literally awe the world. The world is going to be blown away, and that he's going to be able to do something in the Middle East that no one else can do. But there's a second reason why the world is going to follow this man, and it's the miraculous deception that is behind him. Look at verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. Now remember, the term beast, we've already seen it. We'll see it especially when we come to the 17th chapter, can have a dual nuance, kind of like Hitler. When we say Hitler bombed England, do we literally mean that Hitler got in an airplane and pulled the plug and switch and watched the bomb? And of course not. We're saying Germany bombed England. So we're going to say that the term beast will refer to his kingdom, but it will also refer to a literal actual person. So here's the rub of verse 3. John sees this beast who had a fatal wound that was healed. This man was dead, and he's brought back to life. Major problem in some people's thinking. Not for me, but in some people's thinking. How can the Antichrist be brought back to life if resurrection from the dead is a unique qualification of the true Messiah? Remember what Jesus said in that great chapter proving his deity, John 5, 21, let me refresh your minds. For just as the Father raises the dead 
and gives them life. Even so, the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. In the Old Testament, God, Elohim, is unique in His ability not only to spin you together in your mother's womb, not only to create life, but also to raise dead people out of the grave. That is a privilege that God alone has. Jesus said, I have that same privilege, therefore equating himself to the Father in John chapter 5. So here's the point of Rob. If the Antichrist is a fatal wound and he's dead, and he's literally brought back to life, how does that equate with the claim that Jesus makes that he uniquely has a power with the Father to bring people from the dead? You following the argument? So here's how people deal with it. Some say, well, what's really being brought back to life is not the literal Antichrist, but his kingdom. It's referring to a nation that's been brought back to life. Now, I appreciate what they're trying to do because they're trying to protect the consistency of Scripture. The problem with that are many. Number one, there's a personal pronoun that is used, his, in this verse. He's not referring to an organization. He's referring to a person. And when you come down to verse 12 in a few weeks, it says the first beast whose fatal wound is healed. He's referring to a supernatural event that happens to a person. Well, other people say, well, um, it's not a nation that was raised because we've got this personal pronoun here. It's a fake resurrection. He wasn't really dead. He just appeared to be dead and then came back to life. Well, let's think our way through that. Number one, can Satan do the miraculous? Of course he can. There are many, many examples in Scripture where Satan does the miraculous. If you remember in the book of Job, he comes and he brings a tornado that wipes out Job and his family. In another case, he, he, he puts boils all over Job's body where the guy is in miserable pain. Uh, he works through the magicians of Egypt where they mimic and imitate the miracles of Moses, at least they attempt to. In Matthew 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of those who will cast out demons in my name and perform miracles in my name, and I will say to them, I never knew you. So Satan can certainly imitate miracles. In the Olivet Discourse, false Christ and false prophets will come and perform many signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So Satan can do miracles. So is it possible that Satan could have empowered this man to have been dead to be brought back? Of course. But we'll see. There's a difference between this miracle and the miracle that Christ did. In addition, it's very possible that God did this miracle, that God raised the Antichrist from the dead. Can, can, could, could God do that? Well, think about Judas for a second. Do you remember when he set out the 10? Bring up Matthew 10, verse 1. Yeah, there we have. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, his 12 disciples, that's Judas too, and gave them, all 12 of them, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Judas himself who is an unbeliever, who is never saved, who this morning is in hell, did miracles. And who gave him that authority? Jesus did. Jesus gave him that authority on that occasion. So certainly, if God so chose, he could have given that authority uh, to Satan for the Antichrist to have been raised. Luther was absolutely right when he said the devil is God's devil. 
That is, Satan can only do what God allows him to do. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 13, entitled The Master Spin Doctor, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV32. Tomorrow, the conclusion of The Master Spin Doctor. Join us then as we search the scriptures.